We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Which NFC teams won the 2023 offseason? That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter. BenGretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. And you can find off his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we are really excited to talk prospects. We just spent an hour or more talking about the rookies a little bit before we recorded here. But we promised the people that we would finish up some of the team by team, division by division looks that we hit on in our first pod back from our hiatus earlier this week. We talked through all the AFC teams. We talked about kind of win total over under some of the divisional odds, where everything sort of stands around the league right now, what, what, what the markets are saying these teams are going to be this season. One of the things that we've discussed is the AFC is a little bit more cut and dry. If you look at the win total over unders, when we talked about this on the last show, there are four teams with double-digit win total over-unders in the AFC. And Jacksonville is the fourth sort of surprising team, if you will, but obviously in a weak division, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, the, the more straightforward ones. And then there are another four teams that are at 9.5. So all the win total over-unders are usually at a 0.5, so there's not pushes. It's either going to be 10 wins or 9 wins. There are four more teams at 9.5, the Chargers, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Browns. We talked about some of those teams, some of the ones that we liked, some of the ones we didn't like on the last show. You look over at the NFC, there's only two teams in double digits in win totals. You have the 49ers, who are bidding, being bet heavily to the under at 11.5 wins. And you also have the Eagles, who are only at 10.5. They have a tougher schedule this year, but some regression expected from the market. They're being bet heavily to the over. And then you only have three more teams at 9.5, which is the Saints, interestingly enough. And the Cowboys and Lions, who are the, the team leading the NFC North in the markets and, and the, the odds to win the NFC North. But it's interesting that with only two teams in double-digit wins, there's still only three at 9.5. That means only five teams total at a higher win over under than 8.5, which is basically saying 500, right? 17 games. The other 11 teams on the NFC side are all at 8.5 or lower. Again, on the, on the AFC side, we have four teams in double digits and four more at 9.5. We have eight of the AFC teams above that 8.5 mark expected to be above 500 
And if you want to bet the over on them, you got to bet them to be a couple games over 500. Not the case in the NFC. A lot more uncertainty. At the same time, there's not a lot of teams with really low over-unders. There's only two that are under 7.5 as their, you know, their win total over-under. It's the Bucks at 6.5, obviously Tom Brady gone. And the Cardinals at 5.5 are the lowest in the whole NFC with Kyler Murray's injury. But you have just a... I mean, even those two teams are kind of surprising. They've been good or or would have had higher over-unders in the last couple of years. Every other team in the NFC is, there's some intrigue, right? You have the Panthers now at 7.5, approaching this 500 expectation in the markets. You have the Falcons at 7.5, Washington at 7.5. They're being bet heavily to the under. That's a fun one to talk about. Even the Packers, who are expected to lose Aaron Rodgers, are at 7.5. The Bears at 7.5, these teams that are sort of have been all, also rans in, in some respects for the last couple of seasons are there's more intrigue about them. I mentioned the Saints are all the way up at 9.5, but there's not a lot of teams at the top. It's a it's a wide open conference right now, right? And, and we know that. We knew that all last season. It was it was very open. It ended up being the Eagles and the 49ers in the NFC championship. They were the two best teams going into the playoffs. That's the way things played out. And they're the ones that have the the high you know, win totals here. But the market is basically saying we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of this conference. It's 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 a tougher one to read compared to the AFC, which makes it more fun to discuss. It does. And one of the things that you see just very clearly as we start to look at the NFC and start to look at where these teams are being valued is that there's a lot of skepticism about the quarterback play in the NFC and how that allows teams to be competitive with the Eagles. And then when you look at even the 49ers, like how bad some of these divisions are, the NFC South, for example, expected to be an absolute train wreck. And then the competition for the 49ers expected to be so weak that even though they have a lot of questions there at QB, really looks like they expect Sam Darnold to make some starts to begin the season. And then going back with Brock Purdy, who despite the magical run down the stretch, it, certainly seems like there's an element there where the overall context makes a huge difference, which, I mean, again, that's what people are betting on here when you're looking at the offensive skill positions, the overall talent on offense, the coaching staff, the overall talent on defense, all of those types of things. So we see this powerhouse 49ers team that can be one of, as you mentioned, the two teams with projected double-digit wins despite what they might have to go through early on in the season. The flip side of this, or maybe fitting right in with all of that, is that the NFC teams are working hard to get better. We mentioned on the previous show the money spent this offseason and how it didn't really feature AFC teams. Ten of the t- Eight of the top ten teams in total dollars spent do come out of the NFC, and some of that is going directly to trying to address that quarterback position. Obviously, the New York Giants, they're up at the top. And again, this is pre-Jalen Hurts, but the Giants up there at the top, they have made a commitment to Daniel Jones. You have the Saints there at number three who have made an interesting commitment to Derek Carr. I've always been a big Derek Carr fan. I still think that probably if you are an NFL team and you're getting him in his 30s, that there are preferable ways to go. Anybody who wants to dive into that in a lot of detail, though, Blair Andrews has a great article over at Rotoviz breaking down the advanced stats and how they kind of fit with the team needs for both the Saints and then obviously the Raiders on the other side of that, where 
Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be their new guy. Their scheme fits and, and all of that in terms of him going to Josh McDaniels. But then as we're looking at this and you see these teams making the move to try and solidify their quarterback position, do you think this is going to, to work? I and mean, when we have those teams at the top where you're getting the QBs and at the same time, I mean, nobody thinks that those are Super Bowl winning QBs anyway. So maybe all that you've done is raise your floor a little bit and remained uncompetitive, even though the Saints are projected to win the South pretty easily. Then following after them, you have some teams that are making some different types of moves in the Falcons and the Bears where their spending is more spread to try and build out teams that frankly at times last year looked almost like expansion squads. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of places to start there. Um, from what you just said, I, I was first grabbed by your comments on the the Niners. And I, I, I don't think you and I have talked about Trey Lance at all. So I kind of want to talk about their QB situation a little bit. But one of the interesting things about their over-under being even higher than the Eagles is the you were talking about the, the bad divisions. And it's really easy to point to the NFC South. And then it's also easy to look at the NFC North and say, and we talked about this a little bit on the last show, but the Packers are expected to come down. The, the Vikings, some cap situations there for them this offseason. And you know, any kind of Pythagorean win expectation model is going to say that they were overachieving last year. We knew that during the season, everyone was talking about their frauds, their win-loss record was too high. So there's a lot of expectation that they will fall back to earth. And and it's it's right there in their win over under. For a team that won the division and, and had the three seed last year, they have an 8.5 win total for 2023. So the NFC North feels like the other division that's wide open or at least the, you know, the Lions are favorite, which is just so fun. That's a team that we had so much fun talking about last year, Sean. But the NFC West is low-key a lot worse. You have, with Kyler Murray's injury, an Arizona team that looks like they're kind of not playing for this year, and, and their 5.5 win total, again, tied for the lowest in the NFL, is being bet heavily to the under already. The Rams have a 7.5 win total, but it's also being bet to the under. And uh, and I say that in terms of, you know, the price you can get on the over or the under. There is more vague, you know, there's more, uh, you have to you pay a higher price to take the under on that number. I think that's fair. The Rams, I mean, they should have Stafford back. There are some reasons to maybe say, oh, they'll they'll rebound. But I mean, they lose Jalen Ramsey this offseason. They still have Aaron Donald. They still have talent. They have Cooper Cup coming back. But, and they were hurt a lot last year. But probably not a team that's ready to compete for a title or anything, you know, bouncing back this year. Obviously, 2021, they win the title. 2022, a horribly disappointing season for them. And you think about the situation that they put themselves in. They knew they were going for it. And in this offseason, they're dead last in money spent. That They kind of backed themselves into that corner. And so it really does rely on players who are on their team bouncing back to get back in the direction they want to go. Yeah, because, I mean, picks are an issue for them as well. They only have... Uh, well, they, they actually have 11 total picks, but they don't have a first. They have a pick in the second round. They have two in the third. They don't have a fourth. They have three in the fifth, three in the sixth, and two in the seventh. So they, they got a bunch of fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks that are – they only have three picks prior to round five is the way to say that, and none in the first round. So in addition to the money spent, which you talked about this on the last show, but that's total dollars of these contracts, not just 2023 cap. So – a lot of NFC teams this year putting out the big money over multiple years to, to address needs. 
it's clearly the conference that is trying to build right now, as opposed to the AFC where, you know, they're the best teams are building around quarterbacks that they're, you know, getting ready to either getting ready to extend or have already extended. At any rate, the NFC West, again, the, the Cardinals, the Rams, not looking great. Seahawks looked very good last year. I would argue they could disappoint this season because I've been mostly a Seahawks pessimist at all points of time. But uh, Geno Smith didn't play as well down the stretches early in the season. And they sort of put themselves in the situation that we talked about this around this time last year, that even if you hit on Geno Smith, you're probably not contending for a Super Bowl. And then what are you doing? You're signing him to another deal, which they went and did. And you're maybe just playing for mediocrity to a certain, to a certain degree. Now, this is maybe a little harsh. The Seahawks do have a good roster, and they've done some some good things to address some, some specific spots, have multiple picks in the first round, right? They have ways to address continued holes, and they hit on the draft last year. We, As much as we talked about the, them not taking Sam Howell on our draft stream last year and taking Ken Walker as high as they did when they probably – weren't one running back away every we we had to acknowledge i remember having to acknowledge this every other pick in last year's draft was a premium position and they they showed that humility that they tend not to in seattle of uh redundancy so they took two players at the key spots i think they took two tackles two edge rushers two corners and two receivers i think was the rest of their draft last year other than ken walker and those are all premium positions and it was this redundancy model of like yeah we want quantity over quality that we know is the way that you get hits out of the nfl draft and they did they got some hits they had some so they, they have some reasons for excitement in seattle my point is just that's the only team that can contend with the 49ers i think really the rams maybe but it doesn't look like the nfc west of two years ago where we thought that was the best division in football two seasons ago probably going into maybe the 2021 season. So a lot has shifted there as well. Now the NFC East looks like, you know, the best division in the NFC. And we talked about this on the stretch last year as well, but it's, it's an interesting conference, man. And, and, and yeah, when you talk about the Niners for them to be the team with the 11 and a half win over under to also be the team with the biggest or longest, or, or I guess, and I, I don't know the way to, with this they're minus 140 to win the nfc west that is the uh you know shortest odds i guess to win a division of any team in the nfc the jaguars are the uh shortest odds of any team in the nfl at minus 150 just a, a, a touch ahead of them but they are the niners expected to basically run away with this nfc west despite the fact that as you noted they don't we don't even know who their quarterback is and trey lance is the conversation that just keeps on giving this week there was a, a talk about teams uh the, the Niners are fielding calls and and the reports were clear that the calls are coming into the Niners not the Niners trying to go out and trade Lance up until sort of most recently my opinion on most of the Trey Lance stuff has been that it's sort of what we would have expected that right after they signed Sam Darnold they come out and they say yeah we're going to give Sam Darnold a chance to get first team reps and and play I don't think you can publicly say anything different after you just convinced him to come. Like he, they have a relationship with the player and the agent when they get him to sign on their team, that they're going to give him an opportunity to play. They've said all positive things about Brock Purdy. I can't imagine they would possibly say anything else than that based on how well he played down the stretch. And the fact that they won a lot of games, but when he took over, we did talk about this is the best situation in football for a quarterback to step into. And really I was thinking about this earlier, the best situation in every regard. I mean, the best offensive scheme, 
for a quarterback to play in. The, the way they develop Yak, the way that, that Shanahan uses motion and misdirection to create easy throws, and then the players have room to run, that makes it easy on the quarterback. I don't think there's another coordinator in football, maybe Mike McDaniel coming out of that system, that I think makes the job easier on the quarterback than Kyle Shanahan. I think they had the best skill position talent in football coming down the stretch last year. So number one in coach, number one in skill position talent. They had one of the best lines, maybe not number one, but top 10. And they had probably the best defense. So you're stopping the opponent and getting more offensive opportunities, more possessions in a game. You know, one of the issues when we talk about the football as a game of possessions that happens with certain quarterbacks is they get judged a little bit on what they're able to do when the amount of possessions they get. Sometimes when your defense is terrible, you don't get enough opportunities throughout the course of a game to actually make something happen. Purdy had that working in his favor where he would get plenty of possessions each game because his defense is very good at getting him the ball back. Basically, everything was top of the league. That That is like, how does it support you stepping in and being successful? I'm not saying Purdy wasn't as good as he was, but I do think we expected him to be fine in this situation. And then he was very good. But it, like, I mean, did he really exceed expectations? His numbers weren't like through the roof. I, anyway, I'm not, I understand why they're excited about Purdy. I understand why they go and, and, and sign Sam Darnold. Though. There's a lot of people saying, well, look, they signed him because they're going to get rid of Lance. He's their backup now. Purdy's their starter because look how good Purdy was down the stretch. This is a team that had three quarterback injuries last year, including one that cost them the NFC Championship game or an ability to compete in the NFC Championship game. Would not their immediate you know, uh, off-season need list be we need more quarterback depth. We know firsthand from last year that we can have everything else in place, but three quarterback injuries can derail our season. So, I mean, like bringing in a third quarterback like Sam Darnold to have even more quarterback depth seems like that makes sense. Saying positive things about him right after they sign him seems to make sense. Saying positive things about Brock Purdy seems to make sense. And yet, as all of that relates to Trey Lance, it's being talked about in the fantasy community very negatively about Lance. But it does need to be said that the Niners have seen him in practice. He hasn't played a lot of games. They've seen him in practice. They've seen his work ethic. They've seen him in their building. So it's a little bit concerning, right, that they're saying as much positive stuff about everyone else. And George Kittle on Super Bowl weekend was saying so much positive about Purdy, and he's their guy. And that everyone who has been around Lance as well seems really quick to jump to praising other quarterbacks. And now we're getting all these reports of potential trades and things. Part of me has thought that the Trey Lance is going to get traded stuff has been overblown and that he's going to get every opportunity. He's barely played. He played in one monsoon game last year, got hurt the very next game. He, I think he had two starts in his rookie season. They were very limited, uh, you know, preparation games. I don't know that we know a lot about what he actually is. And I'm still a Trey Lance fan like last offseason. What I want to get from you, Sean, I just sort of explained all of my thoughts, but it's like, how are you reading what's going to happen with the Niners? Because my, my original thought also on Purdy was that the UCL injury is so serious, he's going to not be ready. But now the latest on him is they were able to do a you know a internal brace as opposed to a full reconstruction of his UCL. They were, they're trying to basically repair it and instead of reconstruct it like a Tommy John surgery, like baseball pitchers get. So it's not expected to keep him from being able to throw later in the summer is basically the hope right now. Although he's had some quotes saying he doesn't know if he's going to be able to play in 2023. He's being, you know, humble about it and approaching it with the same, like, we're taking a one day at a time mindset. It's a very complicated thing. I just broke it all down for anyone who hasn't been following all of it. But what? how are you reading all of this? Because I'm having a hard time figuring out if the Trey Lance stuff is real, if he's going to get moved, or if he's 
you know, really fallen out of favor in San Fran, or if some of what I just said is really the logical conclusion of San Francisco's 2022 season, that they would address quarterback depth, that obviously with the way that Purdy played late, that they would be excited about him. But that if Purdy's not ready, they're still going to give their former third overall pick a chance, right? I mean, that's sort of the way that I've been looking at. And now it doesn't sound like they will. And kind of as you mentioned, in some ways, that's the natural evolution. You have this situation where just in a lot of ways, Trey Lance probably was never a good fit for them because they have an elite team. And so, you know, if you want a Trey Lance or a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson, you probably are a rebuilding team to where you can work through that process. You can work through, you know, whatever the hurdles are that you run into and you come out of it potentially with a star, possibly with a bust and you start over, but the player can grow and mature with the team. Whereas the 49ers are one of the five best teams in football, they probably have the best overall roster. And so when you have that, then you don't want to be in that uncertain situation. And then especially when injuries are injected in. And so the, again, this is the issue we have with these guys who have big arms, but maybe not a lot of experience as passers. And then there are elite rushers. Well, as soon as you have an injury that complicates matters there. And I don't, I mean, I don't have the information to know at all what's going to be the actual outcome as it relates to his physicality and what he can bring as an athlete as well. But if that's compromised, then you lose the biggest part of your thesis. And so that's, again, the case that you run into now with, you know, what's the both reality and fantasy outlook for Josh Allen if he runs a little bit less? You know, what's the situation with Arizona where they just seem like a pure train wreck? You know, where are you with the rate? And one of the reasons that the teams are not going after Lamar Jackson is not just, I mean, you hear all the talk about the guaranteed contract. This guy is a run-oriented quarterback who was not healthy the last two years. That's not where you need to be when you're looking for, you know, half a billion dollars. <laughs> and so from that standpoint, the 49ers think they can win with other guys, and that's kind of the direction they're going to go. The tricky part then is... You know, how do you make a move that is mutually beneficial, beneficial for Lance, beneficial for you as the team to get something back for a guy that you spent a bunch to make this third overall pick? And how does it work for a different team? Then as I'm looking at this sort of superficially, there would appear to be four teams that would make some sense, right? You have the New England Patriots who are willing to have a lot of flexibility with how they attack things as long as they have a talented player and they can feel like they can get the most out of that player, whatever that needs to be. They gave a completely washed up Cam Newton a shot. They don't seem to be that happy with Mac Jones, which is problematic in a variety of ways. But if they're that unhappy and Lance is available, perhaps that will be something for them. You have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who don't have a QB and appear to be locked out of the elite prospects. Now, we don't know that for sure. It looks like maybe some of the elite prospects could actually fall a little bit. You have the Houston Texans, which I have to apologize to listeners. I evidently misspoke on our previous show when I touted them as a team on the rise and suggested that they would get one of these two elite prospects. It appears that they won't get the one they want, and they may not like the other guy. So Houston, again, entering perpetual purgatory. Well, that's obviously redundant. But you have a situation now where maybe they would like both Trey Lance and, say, a Hendon Hooker. Maybe that would address their apparent unwillingness to take C.J. Stroud. 
And then you have the Tennessee Titans, who are entering a rebuilding phase, even though they're very good. They're not happy with Ryan Tannehill. They're looking at the rookie quarterbacks. If they can't get either for the price or they don't feel comfortable with what they're seeing with the rookies, maybe they would be a landing spot. But, I mean, four landing spots for a QB is actually pretty good, and yet it underlines how difficult it can be to make these moves. And I would have to think that a trade isn't going to be not for much because the 49ers have more or less destroyed any trade value, or not any. But when you think about what it cost them, they've destroyed that kind of trade value pretty clearly. So, but you're pretty confident that all this smoke has fire and, and he'll either be moved or won't be their quarterback. It sounds like that's what it seems like to me. I hope it's not the case. When when Purdy suffered the injury, obviously we were very disappointed for him because that is just this storybook season that he's having. To have a guy come out of nowhere and do that, it was, I mean, it was the coolest part of 2023, right? But then when he gets injured, you're thinking, well, the only silver lining there is that at least Trey Lance now will get another little window to show what he can do. And that's what you want for these guys. You know, we give our rankings of players. We tell you which prospects we think have the best chances to succeed. We're not rooting against anyone. And at the very least, we would like for just as we would want for anybody in any career they're going out to pursue, you want the person to at least get a chance. I mean, I would like to see Trey Lance start some NFL games. Not only does it look to me like he won't be the starter for the 49ers, I mean, he could easily be in a situation where he doesn't start NFL games for years now. Yeah, I mean, we may never actually get to see him, which is it's it's bizarre. When a team trades that much capital and gets up to three, and I, I think you make really good points about the actual Scheme fit? We talked about that when Lance was drafted. I mean, that's why the market for a while thought that that trade was for Mac Jones. I mean, to get all the way up to three to make sure to get Mac Jones because he fit Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard and Jimmy Garoppolo and the guys that they had been in on in San Francisco and been successful with the previous few seasons. I guess the thing for me that becomes a weird – the way that their season went last year, do you really want to go into 2023 with this good of a roster and your only quarterbacks are one that had a repaired UCL that if you've watched any Major League Baseball or pitchers, you know that when they do the re- excuse, uh, the repair as opposed to the reconstruction, sometimes those players still need Tommy John surgery. When they get back and they start throwing, something happens. If he gets hit again in the arm, his uh, UCL may not be strong enough to withhand it, withstand it, at least – Again, as far as I understand, Major League Baseball and pitching and all of that, but there might be a difference in, in torque and all of that. But that's something that I think is getting blown by in all of these discussions. Is like, even if Brock Purdy can get back and throw in time by August, he has to stay healthy for a full season and a career. He can't then just tear his UCL in week six, uh, then the first time he gets hit, right? Like, so how does this repair go? And again, based on my understanding, not not always well enough. They still sometimes need the full reconstruction. Are you really comfortable just going into the next season with that and Sam Darnold? And that's your answer to what happened last season and you ran out of quarterbacks and had all these injuries and everything else is taken care of. I just, I don't, I don't see the value in trading Trey Lance for a third round pick or something when that's probably all you're going to get back as you just addressed to do what to address depth at a position that you already have depth because you're a really good roster. Otherwise you need depth at quarterback, right? I mean, I, He's still in a rookie contract. It's not like Trey Lance is commanding an extension right now. I, he does have a, a solid rookie contract as a third overall pick. It's a high draft slot. But for a quarterback, overall, the Niners are not spending a lot of money at the quarterback position. They have Brock Purdy and 
and Sam Darnold to a you know a reasonable veteran contract. So anyway, I it just doesn't make any sense to me to trade Trey Lance and go into the season from the, the, the 49ers perspective, go into the season with Purdy and Darnold, and that's it. And Purdy may not be able to withstand the first hit he has on his elbow. And the- we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The 49ers fans are going to definitely listen to that be very nervous because the 49ers, such a fun team to watch maybe the best overall team in football. It may be that simply because they're so good, their injuries stand out. But you think about the injury luck that they've had over the last three, four, five seasons, and it just it seems almost impossible how bad their luck has been. You'd like to think that would flip. Ben, before we get too deep in the show, I did want to ask you about a couple of these other teams in the NFC West sort of quickly because you covered them. But you mentioned all the things the Seahawks are doing. They're they're so fascinating because they were seventh in total dollars spent. They have the two first round picks and two second round picks. You're expecting to get a big injection of talent. My thought would be that the interesting part when you look at their win total is that they're probably starting from a much lower level than people realize, or at least you've got a big a big believer in Geno Smith, and so they re-signed him. It's odd to me when you think that they re-signed him and that he played so well last year that so many people are still mocking quarterbacks to them, developmental quarterbacks. That's not the direction that I would go. I think you want to use your above-average quarterback now and then in the future when you need a quarterback, draft someone who is not developmental, draft somebody who's good. That's easier said than done as well because they hope that they're not going to be drafting early. But... They're a middle-of-the-pack defense. I'm looking at their SIS numbers in the Advanced Stat Explorer, their wins above replacement, their EPA per play, and pass defense. Very middle-of-the-pack. We know that's going to be very relevant in terms of how you win games. When you look at pass defense and then you look at quarterback play, even if you're a big Geno Smith fan, I think you've got to kind of put them in the middle of the pack. And so, like you mentioned with the Vikings, where – 
the winning the division last year overstates where they are. The Seahawks are in such a good position to improve, but they're probably improving from a lower starting point than it feels like they are. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Um, I agree with all of that. I agree with the comments on their um, quarterback situation as well. I mean, they obviously didn't want to get the developmental quarterback last year. We talked through this in the in our at our draft live stream last year, waiting for them to potentially take Sam Howell. I I, I thought that was odd too. Well, you know, every every mock I've seen that has him taking a quarterback, it does. I, Pete Carroll's one of the oldest coaches in the league, if not the oldest. And him and Belichick, right, are, are both very old. I don't think Pete Carroll with these moves he's made with Geno Smith and and the direction that the, the franchise is headed is concerned about developmental quarterbacks right now. I don't think he's planning for 2025, 2026. I think he's planning for 2023. He's always had that mindset as a coach, frankly, that, you know, they're sort of always kind of trying to go for it that year. There are certain coaches that are doing that more than, than building. I don't, yeah, I just, I don't get the impression that, the Seahawks are overly focused on that. I would be surprised. It, it's obviously possible when you look at what they're, you know, what they have at quarterback, but they still have Drew Locke there too, and they've claimed that they really like him as a backup. I mean, it just doesn't seem like what they think matches what you know mock drafters are thinking. So I'm with you. Let me ask you on the Rams. Is I mean, I look at that number, and I mean, even though the Rams are not a team that I root for. And they haven't been able to improve like we've talked about, but they made, they made the necessary stuff of getting rid of Allen Robinson. And this is a team, again, when you're talking about the overall organization, which is something that we did mention in the previous show as well, you've won a Super Bowl. You have one of the best young coaches in the league. You have, as you mentioned, some playmakers when you look at Cooper Cotton. They don't have a ton around him, which is how Tyler Higby had so much volume last year. But as we go through this discussion of uncertainty at quarterback, are you comfortable enough with Matthew Stafford? Because when healthy, you're talking about one of the more talented guys in the league, a guy who can now you know relax a little bit because he's won a Super Bowl. QB, head coach, a weak division, and 7.5 for the wins? That would perhaps be an opportunity. Yeah, I don't have a strong read on them. I'm actually curious. Are you are – you, do you think it's an opportunity? I'm going to swing that back to you. I obviously had a lot to say about Trey Lance already on the show um the rams are not one that i have a lot of interesting thoughts on to be completely honest with you what do you think well i've i've resisted last season the trade offers for matthew stafford it seemed like a point in time where his value was going to dramatically correct i think that's happened i've been picking him up in some leagues now you talk about off-season rumors and they supposedly really wanted to get rid of him to the jets but when that wasn't a path they could take they've kind of doubled down on it now and if he's healthy ish then i think you are going to see a bounce back from that particular team i i hope for him that he's healthy he was one of my favorite players with the lions for so long as a lions fan as a guy who has this incredible arm talent the lions were always undermining him and saying, oh, if we could just get him to stop throwing sidearm and make the right reads, then we would be good, as opposed to like, look at what Calvin Johnson is doing with him. Look what Marvin Jones is doing with him. Look what Golden Tate is doing with him. And the Rams say, oh, you're actually going to be the key to us winning a Super Bowl. So that's been a great story. I would just like to see a final chapter of it there with Los Angeles and with Cooper Cup. It seems like a sequel 
even if it's not to winning a Super Bowl, don't get me wrong, I don't think that that's in the cards, but I would like to have them go out, have a pretty good season. It, it, it's, it seems possible. I, I like the, the narrative you're, you're weaving here, but I, I mean, I, I worry about the defense, although Aaron Donald, Donald is still incredibly good. I mean, you lose some talent there. It seems like they've been kind of trying to sell off anything they can because they know how much they went all in a couple of years ago, as you mentioned. So it'll be interesting to see the way the rest of this plays out. I mean, Stafford's a guy who might still get moved this offseason, right? Like the, some of those discussions, now they're you know pivoting back towards, yeah, they're going to go with him. But it's, it's interesting. I'm looking at their depth chart right now. He's the only quarterback on their depth chart. But, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be – who do you like more, the Rams or the, the Seahawks? I think at those prices, I prefer the Rams. You like the over on the Rams at a – Cheaper price and a whole win lower. And I, I think that's a that's a fair point. Two teams you didn't mention when I was talking about Trey Lance, and you talked about landing spots. One of the big takeaways for me, and I made some some notes weeks ago, but from the beginning of free agency was the way that Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter, I wrote dodge bullets. I mean, I think there are people who are very excited about the Jacoby Brissett signing. We, we talked about our buddy Pat Corain is, thinks that Brissett's going to start for that team. Ron Rivera likes to go for it every year, as we were just kind of talking about Pete Carroll. Brissett played well for the Browns last year. It seems very possible that they could think that Brissett's kind of their Geno Smith of this year. And yet everything they're saying is we want to give Sam Howell an opportunity. Um, so the question is, is that all not true, or are they going to give him a real opportunity? And if they do, can he just win the job in camp? And we obviously like him from a talent perspective. If he gets a real opportunity to beat out Jacoby Brissett, I would like to think that he'll do that, that he'll be better and good enough throughout August, that he'll be the starter. Regardless, they didn't sign Jimmy Garoppolo. They didn't trade for Aaron Rodgers. They didn't you know, make a play on Lamar Jackson, which was a discussion point. They are apparently with you know the draft still to come content with these two quarterbacks which to me for Sam Howell being you know a guy who fell away in the fifth round and didn't get a start until the final game of the year is a massive win for his offseason going into year two typically teams then address that position and we never hear from that guy again Matt Corral got hurt in the preseason last year we're never going to hear from him again it seems like the, the Panthers didn't say hey we're going to hold off see what we have in Matt Corral who they took higher than Sam Howell they went out and traded for the first overall pick and they're going to draft the quarterback and they're going to move on from Matt Corral already. That's what I would have expected the most likely scenario to be for hell. It did not happen. Desmond Ritter, same deal. They go and sign Howell's previous teammate, Taylor Heineke. But again, another guy that like, if Desmond Ritter's good enough is not real competition. It goes back to, I mean, you want to make a Russell Wilson and uh, Matt Flynn copy, you know, you can go that direction, but or, I mean, even last year, people were still not sold on Jalen Hurts, and they brought in Gardner Minshew, and people said that Gardner Minshew should start. And when you talk about these day two quarterbacks, or in you know Sam Howell's case, day three, I guess it was Ridman day three, too? Uh, or Ritter day three, too? I think he was a fourth rounder, maybe two. I don't know. But they all fell last year. But th these teams have said, from what we've seen in, in from them in one year in, in practice and in the limited game time, we're comfortable going forward with just – you know, a, a veteran probable backup, guys that have been backups. Most teams have gone into seasons over the last few years. Heineke's played a lot and Brissett's played a lot, but they've been a, they've been treated by the NFL as backups in the offseason for the most part. That's exciting. And you didn't mention them in, in the Trey Lance element. 
I uh, or a conversation. I think that's um, I don't. I mean, they're both listed at seven point five wins. Washington's being bet heavily to the under. You can get plus one twenty on the over. Atlanta's actually being bet pretty heavily to the over, and Atlanta makes a bunch of moves in the offseason as well to address defense, which is really Jesse Bates, Clays Campbell. They get Anyamata, they get Akuda, they get Bud Dupree. A lot of uh, defensive uh, spending and, and traded for Okuda. A lot of investment there on the defensive side for the Falcons. So I can understand the over there. I, I kind of like Washington's over at plus money on over 7.5. I mean, I know it's a tough division, but I don't know. I kind of like uh, making that bet on Sam Howell to at least have this team be pretty decent, close to 500. What, what do you think about where those two quarterbacks stand right now? Howell thing, I just always really fight to keep myself in check because you don't want to get in a situation where your previous takes lock you into some crazy you know, roster exposure or not being able to see how things are evolving. We have Pat on Rodas overtime this week. He had some great comments on this Brissett versus Howell battle and why some of the incentives for the coaching staff and the overall organization might actually be at odds and that that might favor Brissett in a way that's unfortunate for Howell. If we purely look at the quarterbacks, I still really like Howell as a guy who should have been drafted much, much earlier. Now, the point that Pat made that I think is relevant and people should know about if you've been listening to us and you know, you're know you all in on Howell, we joke about the 100% Sam Howell rostership club, did take a lot of sacks in his final year in college. And so if you're worried that he's going to go out, he's going to hold the ball, he's going to take sacks to the professional level, we know that destroys drives and it drives coaches crazy. And so that will be a way to get benched. On the other hand, one of the things that you're looking at there, and you contrast that with his previous two seasons, where, again, the sack rate a little bit higher than you want, but not something that's going to jump out and be like, oh, I mean, this is going to be a big issue. In his final year, Sam Howell rushed for 800 yards and competed like crazy to try and drag a North Carolina team that wasn't nearly as talented that season as it had been the year before. And one of the things that we get a lot with Anthony Richardson, for example, is that he's going to add all of this rushing value. Well, if you look at the last year in college for Howell versus the last year in college for Richardson, you have more pure rushing yards for Howell. You have more broken tackles. You have more forced missed tackles. It's not even close. No. And so there is the case that Richardson is more explosive and is still generating more yardage value on a per rush basis when he takes off and moves. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting that Travis May who you know is just an unbelievable college football resource was mentioning is that one of the reasons why the sack rate for Richardson is really low and the rushing totals are lower than you would want for the greatest athletic quarterback prospect ever is that he senses phantom pressure and just throws the ball away a lot. And so I'm not suggesting that either of those things are going to necessarily be what manifest for the QB at the NFL level, because both of these guys are going to be in very different situations. Their coaches are going to be asking them and coaching them to do different things. But a lot of what you're seeing with Sam Howell is elite competitiveness 
and a rushing ability that can be, I think, undervalued from time to time, right? So if you have a guy who's going out there and fighting for every last thing and taking some sacks as a result versus someone who's getting the ball away prematurely, they're going to be strengths and weaknesses to both of those things. But my point is simply that I wouldn't let that destroy howl for you as a prospect and then you go back again to what washington's actually saying they said that and this is bizarre but they said that they had a much higher grade in the draft than where they took him they said he looked good in practice last year basically everything that they have said is a direct shot at carson wentz where they're telling us if we hadn't made that other move that completely handcuffed us that we might have gone here much earlier the other thing that kind of cuts both ways it just makes me think that taylor heineke is the coolest person is that, I mean, he's out there. This is another NFL quarterback who's fighting for the same job, who's saying this guy is unbelievable. Not just like good, you know, but unbelievable. And it's one of the reasons why when we're thinking about the, the 49ers conversation, that in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking like everybody needs a Taylor Heineke on their team because you need a guy who's a great leader, who is a cheerleader for his teammates and somebody who, if he is pushed into action because the other guys get hurt, which always happens for San Francisco, he's going to go out there and just compete <laughs> the living daylights out of the game now you know maybe not be good enough in some situations but again like if you're with the 49ers is taylor heineke going to be good enough to win you a super bowl i think he would be <laughs> i mean there's just that big a difference in the two situations but anyway all of those things are very positive and then the other thing is just that the falcons have the eighth pick and the commanders have the 16th pick it's not impossible that someone the commanders actually do like and are trying to create a smoke screen for it's not impossible that that player is available at 16. I'm starting to get pretty scared that a quarterback that the Falcons will like will be available at eight. And at that point, then you really do find out how much they like Desmond Ritter. And I think that Ritter is an undervalued prospect as well, not to the same degree as a Sam Howell. Ritter also to me feels like someone who could is a pretty decent fit for what Arthur Smith wants to do. But anytime that you have a head coach who wants to run the ball a lot and create a bunch of third downs, I mean, you really need to have an awesome quarterback at that point, because you're going to put a lot of pressure on them to have a high success rate over and over throughout the game in order to sustain drives and, and score points. Yeah. And I mean, so Ritter, I think in how definitely winners of the off season, the, 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 the eighth pick and 16th pick, could be quarterbacks they could also not be there's been points obviously where it's been suggested that we would get quarterback one through four that the raiders might trade up into the top four and take will levis and we're going to get quarterback 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 and that's the deal and if that happens and what the falcons did in free agency matters still right obviously but i'm with you i mean the latest mocks it seems like cj stroud who was previously the favorite to be the number one pick might be available at eight and if that happens we will find out whether they really like desmond ritter or whether they go and take cj stroud but I loved your comparison of Richardson to Howell, and it's not really meant to, to be negative about Richardson, but I've talked with Pat a lot too, and he's mentioned um, Richardson's uh, good sack rate as a, as a positive, and it is a positive, but in college, they take sack numbers as part of rushing numbers. That's the way that statistically college rushing, quarterback rushing numbers are, despite not having much in the way of negative rushing yardage from sacks. Richardson ran 103 times for 654 yards. Howell, despite you just mentioning him having a ton of negative yards from sacks, 183 attempts, way more attempts, which some of those are sacks. At the NFL level, it's 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 
split out differently statistically. It is not a rush attempt. It is a different play. The college level, it's not. 183 attempts, 828 yards, 828 compared to 654. Richardson's like yards per carry average a lot higher, but that's because Howell had more negative plays, right? When you think about an average. The fact that Howell ran for 828 yards and you're telling me, I mean, the first thing, I didn't actually know that he had a really bad sack rate uh, last year. I don't know if we've talked about that a ton, but as soon as you started saying that, I was like, but he still ran for 828 yards and what he had, how many negative sack yards? I mean, that just shows even more that he had an ability to generate rushing yardage in college and had to. Now, I mean, again, this isn't meant to be a huge conversation on Richardson because I go back to Justin Fields whenever we have these discussions. And people at this time in Justin Fields' prospect season before he was drafted were saying he didn't run enough in college. And I remember doing some research on it and going, look, I mean, he ran about as much per game in college as Kyler Murray ran per game. And we've seen Kyler run more in the pros. Fields was in an offense in college that was so good with a good line and good skill players that he didn't need to scramble as much. It didn't mean that he wasn't going to run he had obviously tested very well athletically and then it's just so funny to think back to that because i remember everyone saying lance had more rushing upside than fields and at that time i was very pro fields we just saw fields become the third quarterback ever to have a thousand yard rushing season this is a guy that in his prospect um circuit was being said to not rush enough so not trying to knock richardson it could be a result of his offense uh the playmakers or the sort of happy feet as you discussed but at the nfl level it might be a little bit different uh and he might run even more at the nfl level we have seen that happen with certain quarterbacks college another one uh where, where they started to run i think a little bit more at the nfl level in a different type of offense howell could be a good explanation for as you said in his junior year after some guys went pro he didn't have as much support he had to run more but yet it's still like it's not close it's not it's not to say the same Howell has more rushing upside than <clears throat> than richardson but he had more rushing stats in college, right? So it's a very fun kind of debate and, and consideration. The big issue with Washington at 7.5 wins and trying to take their over that I find myself questioning is the Giants are going to be fine. I don't really love that they brought back Deion Jones. I wish they would have been more aggressive. I would actually probably call them a loser of free agency because I think what we learned from the Giants last year is Brian Dable is a good coach and was able to play up daniel jones from a player that we had already seen be not particularly good suddenly look a lot better he gets a huge deal now as a result but i actually think that was probably not the best move long term it's sort of in the kirk cousins vein of what minnesota's been doing over there over the last few years i think that new the the takeaway and it's tough to do this to move away from a quarterback that got you to the playoffs and won you a playoff game but the takeaway should have been look brian dable's a good coach we have our coach in place and we can let Daniel Jones walk, even though, or franchise him and let Saquon Barkley walk. Now they're in a situation where they paid Jones so they could franchise Saquon and keep them both. But now Saquon's not signed the franchise tag because he wants the long-term deal. I mean, I, I think he probably should just let Saquon walk and go get his long-term deal somewhere else. They're going to end up having to give Saquon a long-term deal, which is going to also negate the purpose of even franchise taking him. They probably hurt their leverage in terms of a Saquon long-term deal by franchise taking him because they guaranteed him a strong salary this year at, at a minimum for the starting you know point of what his negotiation would be how much they might give him per year if they let him walk to, to the open market he might not have gotten double digit per year I don't know what, what the running back market is right now but anyway the way that the Giants maneuvered all that I'm probably being too critical but I didn't love it for them in terms of where they might go forward but for 2023 they're probably 
in the same place they were last year, basically, which is they're going to be a feisty, good team. They're just probably, in my mind, not a Super Bowl contender. The Cowboys are at a 9.5 win total. They're being bet hard to the over. That's an under I kind of like. Because I think the Giants are going to be competitive. I think Washington might be feistier than people think. I think the Eagles are still very good. I'm concerned about Mike McCarthy taking over the whole offense and thinking that, you know, Kellen Moore, there's a philosophical issue there. and I, I need to be the one sort of in charge. I think Kellen Moore was low-key. I mean, didn't do everything right, but low-key, a net positive. There's some people that really soured on Kellen Moore the last couple of years. A few years ago, he was sort of the golden boy in the analytics community, if you will. But um, I'm kind of concerned about the way the Cowboys go. They have a good defense, obviously, Michael Parsons. Good quarterback, good skill position talent. They add Brandon Cooks. There's a lot to like, but I am a little bit concerned about that 9.5 win total being bet heavily to the over. I mean, they got to go 10 and 7 or better. How do you think that the NFC East shakes out? Well, two of the last three Super Bowl champions had Ronald Jones on their roster. Good point. <laughs> Strong point. So the Cowboys <laughs> should be getting bet harder on the over. No, I, Mike McCarthy seemed like he had found a perfect fit as a head coach who delegated those responsibilities. That was working extremely well for them. And when sometimes you're the victim of your own success where – he had kind of righted the ship for them and allowed them to put together under elite coordinators, strong units on both sides of the ball to then where you go to the playoffs and you lose. And now something has to be done to fix what is really a good situation. And then you move back in the direction where it's not as good a fit, where you're going to be an offensive coordinator, you lose a young talented coach and you're stretched really beyond your abilities. The offense takes a step back and the thing that we always wanted to see was even more volume for cd lamb but big picture this was in a very effective offense that they ran there it's interesting to kind of look at this from both sides where the cowboys are hoping that getting rid of kellen moore is going to fix their issues and the chargers are hoping that getting him will solve theirs the cowboys I think still are in that situation where you're going to have to have an unbelievable team to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback who is good, not great. And that seems harsh for Dak Prescott, who has really accomplished so many impressive things there with the Cowboys. But I mean, not a Jalen Hurts in terms of offering the hybrid ability the way that Hurts does, not a Patrick Mahomes, probably not a Joe Burrow, not a Josh Allen type of player. Now, we watched how. Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl recently, those types of things. But yeah, I, there is pressure on them that's going to come from these other teams. I also thought that your note on the Giants was pretty interesting there. As we mentioned with both the Vikings and the Seahawks, this is probably a team that's starting from a little bit lower level than perception might indicate based on what they did last season and they've spent a ton of money but mostly that's to bring back the guys who were on that team that already isn't where it needs to be and you look at their acquisitions of darren waller does an old frequently injured tight end who in his defense when he's healthy has been a real difference maker a freak athlete at that position but does that solve all your issues and 
I mean, I, I would love to see a healthy Paris Campbell season, but it's difficult for me to understand how that is your receiver signing when, I mean, we all want Wandale <laughs> to be the thing. There are going to be a limited number of targets, though, in that general vein. The Giants, and you push back against the idea that, you know, you need to have an alpha or you're going to have a one and a two and a three and all those types of things. But just even stylistically and from a route perspective, the Giants have some needs at receiver that they have not yeah. asked. Yeah, I mean, if Sterling Shepard's able to stay healthy at some point again, he's sort of a similar player. I mean, he I think can do a little bit more on the outside if he can get healthy. But yeah, I mean, they have just like the most slot receivers in the world. <laughs> Richie James was their most, you know, if, you know, successful healthy slot receiver at the end of the year last year I, I, I didn't understand the Paris Campbell signing either but yeah that'll be interesting to see and they have 10 out. picks but because they were so successful last year in each of the first three rounds their pick is toward the end and so they're going to get less impact from their round one round two round three picks than sort of a rising building team would really like to get let's pivot over to the NFC North because we're, we're already running long since I've you know, we take a two-month hiatus. We get back on. I just, I got a lot to say. I'm sorry. I've had a lot that I've wanted to, to chat with you about. We got to talk about your Lions are favored to win the NFC North. I don't know the last time they won the NFC North. I think it was like 1990 or something. Like, do you know? I mean, it's just an absurd long time. They've been obviously not very good for a really long time. The idea that the Detroit Lions are favored to win this division going into the season. I mean, it's like pre-Brett Favre right that we would have to find uh, a time when that would have it's just it's mind-boggling a little bit there was a point last season where you and i were talking about being concerned that they would make the mistake of firing dan campbell because he was they were one and six and there was starting to be rumors that you know he might be on the hot seat they came back and won almost every game the rest of the way nearly made the, pl the playoffs and are now favored and we all love Dan Campbell for his quotes and everything else, but it looks like a coach that's got this team moving in the right direction. I have to say, I don't love the David Montgomery signing. I think what you proved last year is you probably didn't need, I mean, they didn't spend a ton of money on him, but you probably didn't need any much more than Jamal Williams to pair with DeAndre Swift, even though Swift, you know, not being healthy was probably a big driver of that, but not, not really, you know, not that I want to criticize every single running back signing, but David Montgomery is not a you know a fan, or we at Stephen Lebanese are not a fan of David Montgomery particularly um, as a as a difference making back. But he should be able to, in my mind, fill the Jamal Williams role. You have DeAndre Swift still, I think, as the bigger talent when healthy and the guy that you want to scheme touches for and get him in the space and let him be a playmaker. Um, they bring back Marvin Jones, obviously no longer have T.J. Hawkinson, but Amon Ross St. Brown looks like he's going to be. Uh, just absolutely eating up targets underneath while Jamison Williams is just taking the top off defenses. I mean, this looks like a really fun offense. As long as they don't give David Montgomery too many touches, this is sort of the way that I'm viewing it. Are they going to win this division? Well, yes. <laughs> I, you look at the Vikings, and I know that there are so many reasons to be skeptical, but I think that a team that is well-coached, which – I think that they are and a team that has a basis and a potentially explosive offense where even if you are selling Kirk Cousins, which we always are, when he's able to make some of those throws to Jeff Justin Jefferson, I really think the Lions may have lost this division with that TJ Hawkinson trade. I mean, they made a trade in the division and gave the Vikings something they desperately needed at the same time that they weakened 
a position for themselves. And the Marvin Jones signing to me is really strange and not one. <laughs> a reunion there is not what I was looking for. You know, if you want to bring back, you know, Perryman and Moore and, and those guys from the uh, run and shoot days, then I'm okay with bringing back the the 45-year-olds, but we, we don't need a washed up Marvin Jones. And it raises some questions too. The quotes that they've given on Jamison Williams are ones that you can definitely read in a variety of ways, one of which is that he didn't play that much at the end of last season because he was not preparing himself to actually be part of what they were doing. And so, I mean, that makes you a little bit nervous if you're either a Williams fantasy manager or you are a Lions fan because we watched him get open deep and be missed on a couple of plays. And when you think about that team, with DeAndre Swift as the running back playmaker, with Amon Ra, who is instantly open off the snap around the line of scrimmage every play, and then Jamison Williams as a vertical threat who is almost impossible to stay in front of. Right, He's going to get over the top of the defense constantly. Then you have this offense, even with Jared Goff, who Jared Goff, I mean, he was one of the guys that we liked as sort of a reclamation project last year. It's still... You know, if you're looking at purely from a fantasy perspective, he's not going to win games for you. But if you're playing super flex, then, you know, he can help you out and score some points there. But the offense like that is exactly what you mentioned to where they could be extremely dynamic. And we know that, I mean, even without everything in place last year, they appear to be a year away. And they had some games where they scored a ton of points and they came back on good teams. When they were a team that gave the Eagles a lot of trouble, I mean, this team can be especially taking its personality from the head coach you're looking at as a dark horse super bowl contender but you just you hope that they avoid both the individual players taking responsibility and then from sort of a coaching and organizational perspective you hope that they avoid the trap of becoming too conservative it's just it's hard to understand what marvin jones could really bring to the team at this point because they actually had some interesting peripheral receivers as well who stepped up when the guys were injured that kind of thing you mentioned David Montgomery. I mean, I've gone from feeling like he was massively overvalued in fantasy when he came into the league and the people are giving him too much credit for the broken tackles. All of that stuff turned out, you know, I think to be true to where he's a little bit of a sleeper almost for me. Although his ADP in fantasy leagues <laughs> has bounced back to a point that, again, probably doesn't make sense. I guess I would argue that he's a better pure NFL player than the perception but it's still not as good a fantasy asset and the weird thing and the thing that's concerning is you mentioned the contract when you compare montgomery to players who again at least superficially would seem very similar in rashad penny and alexander madison and jamal williams who departs I mean, the lions seem to think that he's significantly better than those guys or at least significantly better slash safer that the total range of outcomes and, and what it gives them as a, not even really a backup. Cause you get the impression that he's probably going to be the starter and the goal line guy, but that they wanted that guy to be someone that they could rely on as opposed to get upside from. And again, one of the things with Madison and Madison has generated a lot of enthusiasm in the fantasy community recently, but I mean, there were similar guys and, and there's going to be the, 
draw, I think, to stay with your team if the contracts are similar. But I mean, there are a lot of people who like Alexander Madison better than David Montgomery this year, this at this point as a pure player. And I mean, their contracts are not similar. Yeah, true. Yeah, NFC North is going to be a fun one. I think you brought that down well. I, I mean, you mentioned the Eagles game. They, they lost by three to the Eagles, by four to the Vikings, by three to the Seahawks, by four to the Dolphins, by three to the Bills. That's five losses to playoff teams and pretty good playoff teams, the Eagles, Bills. Uh, the Dolphins obviously got hurt late, but Vikings, Seahawks, maybe a little less impressive. But they lost uh, also, a, a, you know, had a bigger loss against the Cowboys, six of their eight games to, to eventual playoff teams. I mean, last year they go nine and eight. They beat the Packers both times they played them. They took care of most other teams. They beat the Jaguars handily. Uh, they beat the Vikings the other time they played them. They beat some you know solid teams as well in there. Beat the Giants. I mean, they had a good season last year. They had How a tough they do against the Carolina Panthers with their playoff hopes on the line? Yeah, that was one of their two unfortunate losses. They also got shut out 29-0 in New England. But, I mean, they, w- they went to New York and beat the Giants in New York. That's a a good win 31 18 in week 11 i mean they had a good season last year this is a team that uh i'm with you i think they actually do it this year i think um the vikings the running back situation they're very interesting as you alluded to something to to certainly keep an eye on i want to talk a little bit about the bears real quick obviously we have the dj Moore trade we talked about that a little bit on the last show but also they had deontay foreman they've done some things to improve this offense hopefully well, I mean, obviously they lose David Montgomery as well, but they're trying to make things more manageable for Justin Fields. They're being bet a little bit to the over on their win total. Fields is a really polarizing player. And then the other team in this division, obviously the Packers, if they do trade Aaron Rodgers, that's a very polarizing spot as well. But they're being bet really heavily to the under where people I don't think are very high on Jordan Love. I, I would say I'm probably not either. I'm going to wind up Sean Dean a little bit concerned about Christian Watson in particular, his ADP and, and, and maybe even Romeo Dobbs, but just what, what Jordan Love is going to mean for this offense going forward. Maybe we'll, we'll see sort of how things uh, land entirely, but yeah, not thrilled about where Green Bay might be headed with Jordan Love or what that range of outcomes could look like and and what their offense could look like. They might be one of those offenses that suddenly is using the running backs a little bit more than we want them to. That's That was sort of the concern last year um, going into the year that it was going to be an Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, one-two punch. Well, it's probably what it ends up being this year. Anyway, any, any big thoughts on the NFC South? Uh, I guess we talked about the Falcons a little bit, but Derek Carr and the Saints – leading the division by two wins over everyone else's win total projections at 9.5 seems to be elevated simply because the expectation is they are the best team in the division and they get six games against the Panthers, the Falcons and the Bucks, whose quarterbacks might be, you know, it looks like Bryce Young, Desmond Ritter and probably Baker Mayfield. Right. And so that it's, it's obviously not a good division. And yet, I mean, I'm kind of of the mind that there's too much faith in the Saints as well. So they're they're high, maybe not even high, but their win total being at 9.5, it is being bet to the under fairly heavily. The other three in the division have been bet, well, particularly Carolina and Atlanta have been bet a little bit to the over at their 7.5 win total. So 
Saints still the favorite to win the division if you go to the division winning odds uh, market, but it's pretty balanced. They are the favorites. The Falcons come in second. The Panthers come in third, but it is being valued sort of wide open. If you look at the north, by the way, the Packers are last in uh, the division winning odds in terms of the odds you could get on them. You have the Lions, the Vikings, the Bears, and the Packers. Both of these divisions some of the more wide open divisions in the entire NFL. Any like big closing thoughts on any of I, I don't know, I just do a lot at you. <laughs> I can't wait to see how some of this unfolds. I hope it unfolds in a positive way for fantasy. Cause one of the things that we were regretting last season, I guess is simply that there weren't enough quality teams. The thing with the Panthers is just that you, you hate to see Bryce young come into the NFL and have to throw to Adam Thielen and DJ Chark and Hayden Hurst, even though any of those guys individually, if they were being relied on as a pure role player, I think would be a, a solid acquisition for a team. The other element with the Panthers that is interesting will be how well this team is coached and how hard they compete you know, I don't have any problem with how the Panthers went about this. I think that Frank Reich, as someone there with Young, is interesting. But Steve Wilkes, I mean, you really hurt for him. It would have been cool to see him get a shot as the true head coach this year. I just mentioned that loss that the Lions had that cost them a playoff spot. And, I mean, this Panthers team was maybe the most competitive team in the nfl when you think about their true talent level and maybe it's just that their true talent level is much higher than it appeared but once they changed coaches last year the panthers were extremely competitive and you think about additional games they could have won <laughs> like with the dj Moore helmet situation you'd like to see them carry that over despite the new coaching staff and obviously you get plenty of offseason changes you'd like to see them carry that over with a young quarterback who's getting a little bit of that kind of Deshaun Watson-ish like Michael Jordan type of buzz I mean if he can come out and be a true superstar then then it becomes very interesting right because you could make the claim that the Panthers were the best team in that division as last season concluded it's also interesting because even though I'm a big Derek Carr fan, I don't know that you can look at these teams and say that like Derek Carr is so much better than Baker Mayfield that you would ignore, you know, some of the other things that they have going on with their rosters. And and I'm not saying that people are necessarily doing that, but I think the Bucks could be one of these teams that now that they're sort of freed from the Tom Brady situation. Brady obviously led to them to the Super Bowl. Is going to be looked at as the greatest quarterback of all time unless Patrick Mahomes can continue his push for many, many years. But you do get the impression that it was a negative situation last year. You've got guys like a Chris Godwin, like a Mike Evans. I mean, this is a team that still has some interesting talent, which within a terrible division, as you described it, becomes interesting. If they were in one of the power divisions, then yeah, they're going to get hammered. But that's not the case here in terms of the different quarterbacks they're going to be facing. I think the main thing that we want is we want Derek Carr to look okay and to go out there and be able to elevate or at least continue to support Chris Olave as he makes the push 
to being one of the NFL's new young stars. And if he can lock on to Olave and do, you know, even vaguely Devontae Adam-ish things, even though they're two different styles of player, but if, I mean, if he can develop a rapport with Olave, like he obviously had with Devontae Adams, that part of it will be fun for Saints fans. It'll be fun for fantasy managers. And that's probably the storyline that will end up being the most interesting from a fantasy perspective this year. I think, yeah, I mean, this this division, I, I guess, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't really want to classify it as terrible because I think it, it has the, it, it certainly looks that way from the market's perspective when you look at the numbers, but I think it has a lot of int- intrigue. You just mentioned a lot of it. Um, the Bucks as well. I mean, if Baker Mayfield, like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are really good receivers, right? Like, and we're acting like just because Tom Brady retired that this team can't be good. They've been, they were competitive with Jameis Winston, who I don't think is a very great quarterback, throwing a lot of interceptions, not really playing at, a, at an elite level because the receivers are good enough. I think the Bucks. I mean, look, they don't have all the pieces in place, and uh, but I don't know. I, I think they. They have an over-under of 6.5. That's one that stands out to me. It's one of only two, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, in the NFC that's below 7.5. And that's not been bet heavily either side. It's it's even odds on both sides. I think I would take the over on the Bucks at 6.5 in this division. You don't think they can win? I mean, I, I think they can win seven games in this division. This is going to be a fun, fun, fun uh, division, though. I mean, you, you just talked about the Panthers and the Saints, the Falcons really addressing – the defense and, and the upside that's potentially there. I mean, as long as Arthur Smith, like, I mean, do, do you think he's learned anything about past concepts this offseason, or is he just writing up his fifth 5,000th run play? I mean, obviously the guy can design a run game, but, like, do you think he is aware that you're allowed to throw forward passes? Well, this morning, for some reason, I was daydreaming, and I don't know why this would have popped into my head, but... If the Falcons were to use that number eight pick on Jackson Smith and Jigba, then you would suddenly have the best young receiving group in the NFL, and you'd have a variety of profiles, and it would be impossible to account for them all. But that's the question. What are you doing? The last thing on earth that we possibly want is JSN there. I mean, what yeah. they would do is they would send those guys out into the pattern and force the defense to account for them and then run, run. Tyler Algier up the middle, which Tyler Algier, I was mentioning to you, I think one of the cool stories of last season really emerged down the stretch, an undervalued and fantastic running back, receiving lots of trade offers for him. I think that he's a good pick in drafts right now. But I mean, the last thing that the NFL wants would be Kyle Pitts. Drake London and JSN on the same team with Desmond Ritter pulling the trigger and Arthur Smith calling plays. We have to save JSN. Put him in bubble rack. Protect JSN. Do not send JSN to Atlanta. I mean, that sounds like the best receiving trio you could imagine for, for young talent. I mean, that would be the way to build a team. And so far, the way that they have used their draft capital and built their team has been you know, very clearly incongruous to what Arthur Smith actually wants to do as a coach. So maybe they'll just keep going like that. They'll just keep adding, ta- you know, all this talent and all of these weapons that, you know, their coach that they have in place doesn't actually want to use. And they don't want to fire him, even though they should have this offseason. Anyway, um, 
what a sour taste to uh <laughs> to, to leave our <laughs> listeners with but uh, no you you seem like you got a pick for this division you're picking the bucks post I, I mean i don't think i you know what there's seven to one to win the division that's really high for divisional odds. There's obviously only four teams, and I don't really have that much faith in the Saints or the Falcons or Panthers for that matter. I think that's a good price. Absolutely. I think, you know, I wouldn't put a ton of money on it, but I think it's a good price to just basically pick on uncertainty, right? Like chaos in, in the one of the expected uncertain divisions. I, I mean, I'm not saying Baker Mayfield's good, but he's good enough to win this division, honestly. I was completely out on the Panthers after they traded so much to move up to one. They do still have the 39th pick after all is said and done. I'm going to say they use that selection on Jalen Hyatt or Marvin Mims. They get some explosiveness to go with these washed-up veterans. And Bryce Young leads the Panthers to the NFC South title in his first year. That sounds fun. It's a good way to end it. Sean, we will be, uh, I mean, these are a couple of marathon pods for our first two back. We'll be trying to do shorter pods eventually, but we're going to be breaking down those rookies. You just mentioned Martin Mintz and Jalen Hyatt. Hyatt's one I'm really excited to talk to you about. Mintz as well. I mean, that's two really intriguing names in this wide receiver class. There's a lot to discuss about the rookies. That's where we're going next. As we lead up to the draft, we'll be doing a day two uh, live stream for rounds two and three, which in a lot of ways is even more fun than, than round one. But there's a lot of live streams from round one. We last year had a lot of fun with that day two live stream going through all of the landing spots in round two and round three, which are just massive. And for this class, I mean, it's a it's a huge uh, – there's a lot of running backs that could land there. We don't know a lot about who might land there. There's a lot of receivers. It'll be interesting to see where they land, what the draft capital is. It's a deep tight end class. Who's going to land in round two and round three will be very important. There's going to be a lot from that day and that stream in terms of – finalizing the profiles of a lot of these players. So we're going to discuss the players over the next few shows, and then we're going to get that draft capital, you know, that, that sweet, sweet draft capital, that last part of the – and landing spot, but mostly draft capital, that last part of the equation. That'll be a lot of fun. Got a lot planned for the next couple of weeks. If you're still listening at this point, an hour and 20 minutes into the podcast, thank you for uh, being back with us at Stealing Bananas. We got it. We'll, we'll get into midseason form eventually. Well, it's been so much fun to be back. I have so much fun with you, Ben. Hope the listeners are enjoying as well. That'll do it for today. Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals and Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you over at Rotoviz, and you can get the 10% discount on your one year subscription with the coupon code RVRADIO2023. If you're wondering what we've been doing, Ben has had a couple of Really cool recent articles on targets per route and some variations of that. We know that Ben is the TPRR guru. You'll want to check that out. As he mentioned, we're going to do some rookie stuff, and I've got articles out on those prospects with some advanced stats this week. That'd be great preparation for our shows, again, if you're interested. Those things are out there. We enjoy putting them together. 
We appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.